Can you figure out the power play? I was there when people opened umbrellas to watch a hockey game, not because it was outdoors, but because the roof leaked. He is a bear of a human being. I have hockey stick. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross, on Twitter. That would be at A Gross Newsday. And as we wait for the Islanders to make uh, management and players uh, available for the uh, usual postseason quote-unquote breakup day availability. Uh, usually this is, you know, I want to say in normal times, the uh, what happens is a team is eliminated from the playoffs so their regular season ends and they're, they're not going to the playoffs and you have a breakup day where you go talk to the players, talk to the GM, talk to the coach, and uh, we, uh, you know, you get some uh, stories out of that. But uh, these are not, you know, quote-unquote normal times, and we're waiting for the Islanders to uh, set a schedule uh, to talk to uh, President and GM Lou Lamarillo and Coach Barry Trotz and some of the players as they head into, uh, you know, an uncertain offseason since uh, we, we do not know when the NHL will be playing again. And uh, uh, you heard Gary Bettman, I think we went over this on the last episode uh, during the Q&A, uh, really no concrete idea as to when the NHL is going to start its season again. Could be late December, could be sometime in January and, uh, you know, could be February, I guess, you know, you just don't know when they're, all the pieces are going to align. But in the interim, uh, I, I really had fun putting this one together. I've been wanting to get, uh, my guest on today's show on for a while. Uh, a guy I, I, I certainly look up to in this business and, uh, a guy you, you watch now on, uh, MSG network, uh, on the Knicks, uh, broadcasts and certainly listened to on ESPN radio and long time ago uh, or maybe not that long ago depends I guess how old you are <laughs> um, but uh, in the past you, you you used to read them in Newsday covering the Islanders and then the Knicks and the, that's my friend Alan Hahn who was uh, uh, very nice to uh, uh, let me ask him a ton of questions and uh, as we had this conversation about hockey, uh, his time covering the Islanders, uh, what he saw out of the Islanders, what he sees out of the Islanders going ahead. So uh, that's what this episode is. It's my chat with Alan Hahn. And like I said, I, I am thrilled to be joined by my guest here, Alan Hahn. When, when I first started covering the NHL in 2003, Alan was covering the Islanders for Newsday, and he was one of the guys I definitely looked at and said, you know what, that's the kind of job I should be doing. So, uh, and, and certainly Alan has, been, has gone on to uh, some great things in his career. So Alan, thank you so much for joining me here. Well, it's great to be here, but I, I'm glad that you aimed a lot higher than whatever I was doing all the way back then in 2003. But, uh, you know, hockey in New York was kind of fun back then, too, a little bit. The Devils obviously were great. Um, the, the Rangers were figuring it out. They went through a lot of changes then, but the rivalry still had a little bit of teeth to it. Yeah. And those Islander teams back then, people don't spend a lot of time talking about that three-year span when Charles Wong first bought the team and they brought in Peter Laviolette. 
Yeah. Um, but those were good teams, you know, that, that obviously uh, couldn't get out of the first round. But for me personally, I always tell those guys, it's like, that's, those are my favorite years as a beat writer because you saw a franchise that was almost left for dead and really had come back to life. And it was, it was a really cool experience. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, the Rangers never made the playoffs back then. So they sent me out. Uh, I forget whether it was Pete's first or second year, but uh, they're, they're in the playoffs. And I, I just remember being out at ice rinks in Syosset. Yeah, free, freezing my butt off, <laughs> and just sitting like in a little closet with yes. Lavi, and it was really my first experience with him. And just thinking, this guy absolutely knows what he's doing. This yeah. this guy's a keeper, you know. I, I met him. I met him and his wife off the plane when he was hired, uh, and it was out at MacArthur Airport on Long Island where he, he landed. Yeah, And so I met him out there, um, which, of course, caught him totally by surprise. And I said, welcome to the NHL. You're going to get stalked now the rest of your career. He's coming out of the AHL. And um, just we, we, we actually shared a ride to um, Garden City. And the conversation I had with him, and it was the first real one. I mean, the, over the phone first time is never – you're never getting all that stuff. So we're, the more we talked, the more in my – because I kind of wondered. They were supposed to hire Ted Nolan. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wondered, you know, what they're, they're hiring this guy and he's an AHL coach and he's a younger coach. And I wonder if this is the guy. I mean, by the end of that ride, MacArthur to Garden City is, you know, maybe 40 yeah. minutes. Uh, I was like, this is the guy. Like, he's real impressive. And, and, oh, by the way, all these years later, he's got a ring on his finger. He's, he's taken a couple other teams to finals. And now he's got another shot with, with Washington. He, he knows. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. Do you I, – I guess it's a tough what-if question, but you were around the team – if they had stayed the course, do you oh. think – could things have been much better? Or? I can, I'll tell you the story uh, because I still – it's one of those moments, and I know you've been through this as a writer, and, you know, when you call people at times and you get caught like, wait, did that just happen? Yeah. Um, it was – it might have been May or June, and I just – on a whim, I don't even know why I thought of it. Yeah. I called um, – I think it was, was Milbury. And I, we were talking about stuff and I just, you know, like when, when the seat, when you do a season wrap up and stuff and you're just like, all right. And, you know, and, and Peter, he's got one year left on his deal, but I mean, you know, we're, you know, you're pretty happy with your coach. Right. And Mike was like, well, there's some things there we got to look at. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a second now. What, what do you mean? There's things you got to look at. He's like, well, not everybody's thrilled and I've got to look into it. I've got to talk to the players and see what the players are feeling. And when you hear a GM, I got to talk to the players. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, so you're telling me that it's not a given that he'll be back next season. And he said, I can't say that right now until I finish talking to the players. Now they had just made the playoffs for the second year in a row, which they hadn't done by right. the way, since yeah. the eighties. So I was like, hang on. So I called LaViolette like immediately and he's on vacation with his family. And he, of course, takes the call, which is, tells you all about Peter. And I just said to him, like, you know, I hate to do this to you, but I, I got to get a comment. You know, Mike made it sound like it's not a given that you would stay next season. And I said, and I th- I'm shocked by that. And he then replied, like, yeah, I- I'm not surprised by that. And I said, wait a minute. Like, you, you feel like you feel the same way that you're not sure you're going to be back. And he said, yeah. He goes, I just, I don't think it's going to work out. Blew my mind. 
you know, I'm thinking finally stable, franchise is, is set, everything's good. Next thing you know, the hotshot young coach they hired, they move on from. And I couldn't believe it. And I remember saying, you're going to rue the day. This is a mistake. This is a mistake. And, you know, he went on to do great things, and I'm happy for him. But even he'll tell you in his heart of hearts. And I had a conversation years later uh, when he was coaching Philadelphia. And it was towards the end there. And I, I would just happen to be at the Coliseum for something. It might have been like lockout year for the NBA, and I just happened to show up. But I remember just having a just a he and I just chit chat. And I said to him, you know, if anything opened up here, you know, and, and I knew from Charles that Charles loved him so much that he would bring him back and want to, you know, give him the job again. And he and his wife loved living on Long Island. And and I asked him, I was like, if if this ever opened up again and you were available, he goes, oh, I definitely would. Yeah. He said, we, 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 we kept our friends here. We love it here. He, you know, he's like, I, I definitely wouldn't. He told me that privately. He never made it, you know, it wasn't something I wrote about or made public. But he, he felt an affinity to this place. Um, and I think everybody realized in the end, as much as we love Steve Sterling as a nice man, it, it was a major mistake to make that move. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And, and I, you know, Steve is around. He's scouting now, so he's around too. You're absolutely right. Fantastic guy, but you yeah, know, yeah, Sterles is wonderful. And, and by yeah. the way, a great connection to you know, he was in Slapshot as an extra. Yeah. I love yeah. that story. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody that was an extra in Slapshot and got to have you know, drink Good beers and, 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 and play <laughs> hockey with Paul Newman, you're a real man. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, let me ask you here so, I, I know how much you love hockey and you know, how much you know, covering the team meant to you. You're not around it 100% of the time, but I see you on Twitter. I know you're following this. What, <laughs> what, what is it like to see the organization as it is now compared to, you know, where it was when, when you left covering the team? It's, it's remarkable to me. And I'll tell you what, um, and they've been really uh, good to me. John Ledecky, uh, Kimber, they've always – kept me kind of in the family, I guess. I don't know how you put it, but it's sort of like kept me connected. Mm -hmm. um, I got to work with Rick DiPietro for a while. He and I are very close. So, you know, through that as well, I sort of just always stayed. The guys I covered that I just always had a, you know, when you stop covering somebody, you don't have to have to worry about the whole journalistic integrity thing anymore. You just know, like we know each other. So guys like that, I really Steve Webb as someone I hold in high regard is one of the a top top shelf kind of person. Uh, Mark Parrish is another one of those guys. Um, you know, I just really had a good connection to so many of them from back then that I couldn't help but keep rooting for them, like personally as as people. So, but you also saw the roller coaster that they went on after I moved on to the NBA. And I saw, I wanted Rick to do so well. The injuries, it just, you know, that really was tough to see because I saw him as, a, as an 18-year-old get drafted number one and wide-eyed saying, I can take on the league. And, yeah. you know, it, it, he was, you just felt like he could be special. And just as he was getting special, the injury happened. And it's just, that was so tough to see. I mean, I, I don't know if people forget, but that one season he had with Team USA. and He was an all-star in the NHL he was one of the elite yeah. goalies you know yes and I'll tell you what too the other thing about Rick people forget because they always bring up the contract you know they always talk about how the buyout is still there and the, the numbers still there and they, they compare him to Bobby Bonilla which is absolutely ridiculous 
Rick did that contract the way he did it so that his, and I'm sure we'll talk about this soon because this is an issue right now for the Islanders, his yeah. annual hit wouldn't affect them in the cap and they can go out and get talent. He didn't want what, what his market value was to impact the annual cap. So extend the deal while you still could because he can't anymore. And it lowers my annual. And that's, he wanted to be an Islander for life. Yeah. So to criticize him for that contract is, you know, to me, it's, it's completely unfair, but we know how it is in, in today's world. So to answer your question, long-winded as I've been, uh, it's remarkable to, to, to go to Belmont last year to look at a hole in the ground, just to see it for myself. I, Andrew, I, I covered the late 90s arena stuff and the early 2000s arena stuff. I, I wrote a story for Newsday about the Coliseum 20 years ago. I actually still have – I have all my clippings right here. Uh, 20 years ago, I wrote that the building was antiquated and need to be replaced and found all these issues of why it was dilapidated. And, and it actually it, – it, it won an award, that story, but it, because I put so much of my heart into it. I showed different parts of the building. I talked about parts of the building. I did the research on why this franchise can't survive anymore in this building. And I never believed a new building would arrive because I just felt like it's just, it's just this franchise. We're going to lose this team as great as it is to watch them in the Eastern conference finals, to see them get that far again. That was great, but I'm still to me, what I can't believe is that they survived through what happened to the Coliseum to Brooklyn, to now having a building that you can actually see physically, that's really going to happen. They're really going to get it, their own building, which means we're not going to lose them to Kansas City or Quebec. That, to me, is, is something that I, I really didn't – if you told me this 20 years ago, I would have said, no, they, they're gone. They're gone by 2020. They're not in New York anymore. So that's the most remarkable story about this whole – this franchise. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's been written, but the stability that this brings is going to, you know, never Off mind financial, but, yes. you know, Pinocchio is becoming a real boy now in the NHL. <laughs> well right? done. I mean, the, the, yeah, the, no, no, they're a real, right, they're a real, like Peter Body and I used to do this all the time. They're a real live hockey team now. Like, they're, <laughs> they're, you know, it's like you're really in the NHL again. Yeah. Like, they, they really, and, and that's where, again, I, I mentioned John Ledecky is, is what a godsend he has been as an owner and I know you know uh, Malkin is, is part of this as well mm -hmm. and a big part of it financially but I think what John has represented publicly uh what did he call um what did he say that what 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 it was a great word he used uh curators of the franchise or caretakers of it caretakers, but it's really owned yeah. by the yeah because he talks about by the fans that yeah he he knows him and Scott are not going to own this franchise forever but he wants to, to build something so the, the fans always have this franchise, right? And, and, and that it stayed here and they preserved things, but they didn't do it in a corny way where we're just always living on the past, but it doesn't mean you ignore the past. Yeah. You know, there was so many awkward years for this franchise in the late 90s especially that frustrated me. Now, people don't know that for a couple of years, I was also an intern for the Islanders right out of college. So before I was a beat writer, I, I was in the building when they unveiled the Fisherman logo. I, I was there when Mike Milbury said, you know, screw the Rangers, screw the Devils. Uh, you know, I was there for Kirk Muller refusing to play. You know, I was there for all that stuff. I was there for Darius saying we look like idiots wearing that jersey, the Fisherman logo. 
Uh, I was there when people opened umbrellas to watch a hockey game, not because it was outdoors, but because the roof leaked. You know, I was there for all that stuff. So to have the type of stability that these guys brought and were able to take, you know, Charles Wong, I guess, set the foundation for, for stability. But then these guys took it to a complete other level. If you look, Andrew, and here's something. You've been around New York sports long enough. Think about this for a moment when you look at the landscape of New York sports franchises. When you – all right, the Yankees are the Yankees. Tell me who you would say be number two right now when you think about stability, uh, where they are standard-wise in their league as we speak, and what it looks like going forward as far as success, how they're trending. Yeah, no, absolutely. The honors would be number two, maybe one and two – you know, two and – 2A, 2B with the Rangers, because the Rangers obviously are in a really good place too. But you can't tell me there's another franchise. The Jets and Giants are a complete mess that are starting over, right? The Knicks are starting over. All right, maybe all right, I, I should argue the Nets. All right, you could put the Nets in that conversation. But, but, but the I mean, Islanders are the last team you'd ever think could be even in the conversation for being one of the most stable franchises in New York. And they are thanks to these guys. And I, I put, that, put out that tweet because – I'm a Jets fan and the Jets, like the Jets are going to drive me, you know, they, they age me 10 years every Sunday. And, you know, <laughs> how, did, how did it feel to have your season over at halftime of week one? Was that I tough? Get, I couldn't get five plays into the first game. They went, <laughs> and I've said this, they went penalty on the kickoff return. Yes. Incomplete three yard run, incomplete punt. Yeah. Now, I'm done. And that's it. Right. And that's it. That's it. There's your genius. There's your genius head coach. I know. It, it, that's exactly my point is you yeah. look around. I'm now Steve Cohen's buying the Mets. And so if you're a Mets fan, there's some hope there. At least you yeah. hope so. And maybe we start turning this thing around because for the most part, you know, and the Knicks, they have new leadership. They have a new head coach. What kind of moves they're going to make? All that stuff. You can only hope whatever is coming in the 20s. Yeah. can't be anywhere as bad as the last 10 years have been in New York sports. Right. Yeah. And so that's, but, but still where we are right now, when you look around the, the Islanders are now thanks to what owners have done. Thanks to what, what, what smart owners do. Yeah. You get the best, you get Lula Merle, the best, you get the best head coach, Barry Trotz, Stanley cup ring, the best. You have the best of everything. You get the amenities to make them the best. I've been to Northwell a million times. My son plays hockey. I've seen what they've done there and, yeah. and how they've taken that thing over. The arena is going to be insane. We all know this. It's, it's going to be beautiful. You now have the ability to say, not only are we a real live working NHL franchise, but you might dare to say you've also become now an attractive franchise where a free agent looks and doesn't think anymore. I'm staring out at the desolate Hempstead Plains at the Marriott at this squat little building thinking there's no way in hell I ever want to play here. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's reality. Owen Nolan, you remember him? Yeah. Uh, all right, so I was doing a story on the Coliseum back then or on the Islanders and, you know, whether or not anybody want to play there. And, and I remember walking out of the building with him and Owen Nolan's not like the, he's, he's not the warmest guy to talk to, right? <laughs> he didn't really like media, but I usually use, you know, I always use my kind of just, I'll just follow you out until you tell me get get lost, right? So I would just I was talking to him walking to the bus, and I just said, so you know you only come here once a year. He's playing for the Sharks, so like, so you really don't see this often. I'm like, but when you come here to play a game, what do you feel? Like, do you feel anything? Is there energy or something? The history? And he goes, 
quite frankly, it's a depressing place to play. Yeah. yeah. And I just stopped in my tracks, let him go because I got the quote I needed. Yeah. But that says a lot. I don't think once they open that building, you're not going to get that kind of sentiment from opposing players. And that, that, that's going to help them going forward. Yeah. And, you know, you, you brought up a great point. Uh, you mentioned it, Northwell. That was a huge step for this franchise. Yes. Yeah, that, that kind of practice facility, that kind of, not that I'm back in the weight room, you know, but I, I've heard. <laughs> ice, ice works, you know, ice works, we'll call ice works intimate. Yeah. It, was very, it was very intimate. Well, it was, you know, when, when the Rangers left right to go to a green. Yeah, well, that, and that's that's the thing is you you yeah. upgrade your facilities. The, the funny thing about Syosset, uh, if you ever skated, is that the one end of the ice was actually downhill towards the goalie. <laughs> and the goalies hated taking that end because it's one thing to play in a men's league game like me, a bunch, you know, a bunch of benders out there. But it's another thing to have an NHL play, you know, Alexei Yashin coming down on you and just ripping one downhill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a little different. So... So they, they, they play on a flat ice surface. Let's start with that. And, and obviously the facilities have been upgraded tremendously. But it's all about what you have at the top of the franchise. It really is. Yeah. It, it starts there and trickles down. And that's exactly what you have here. And you could argue you have not had this since Pickett, Tory Arbor. Yeah. What was, uh, what was your reaction? I mean, I, I was covering a Yankee game. And the Islanders hire, you know, it, it comes out that Lamarillo is coming. Do you remember where you were and like the first thing that came to your, your mind? I heard the rumors. Um, it was something that was definitely being, you know, that was, that was uh, bandied about. I couldn't believe that he was uh, scapegoated in Toronto and they moved on from him the way they did. And I felt it was real disrespectful. Lou is somebody that I covered. I covered those. And you remember we were around with each other. I covered a lot of those devil teams. I covered their 2000 cup. I was around for the 03 run as well. Uh, some of, um, of 01 as well. So, you know, I was around that franchise a lot and I had gotten to know, not personally like we're buddies, but I'd gotten to know Lou just from interviewing him and just seeing how he operates and how that franchise operated. And it was, uh, it was in the early days of Yankee nets and the whole, you know, what was going on there. And I just looked at it like, this is such a stable, good franchise. This is a guy that knows how to organize. Like, he knows yeah. what he's doing. Um, and, you know, he didn't cut corners. And he had rules. And everybody followed him. And if we had structure, we would have success. And you knew that's what he was trying to do in Toronto. And there's just too many cooks in the kitchen in Toronto, clearly. Yeah. And that, that, that type of style won't work if you're not the guy with autonomy. So I didn't like that he was the one scapegoat. Oh, the old man doesn't have it. He lost something on his fastball. He's doing the old ways. And so I kept thinking, that's the guy you want to get. And so the rumors were that they were trying to get him. And friends of mine were telling me that, you know, he, he might take the job. So when I heard that it was official, I really did believe, like, okay, he's going to come in. He's going to observe. And it's, it's going to happen pretty quickly because we know how Lou operates. He operates yeah. quietly. And he just does what he does, and there's, there's, there's no need for explanation. This is just what we do. And it didn't take long for the stability to follow. And obviously, again, the what, are the what opportunity to have a guy like Barry Trotz, who, again, you covered him for years when he was in Nashville. What a, what a great guy he was to talk to in morning skates and everything. Yeah. So to when he becomes available after winning a cup, you just knew 
it wasn't going to take long. They'd get this thing right. I, I got a, a good Barry story, which you'll appreciate for the, for the people involved. Really, the first time I interacted with them, I was covering the Rangers, and your former colleague at Newsday, Steve Zappay, was yep. the one driving the rental car out to the, <laughs> out to the Predators uh, practice facility, which is not downtown Nashville. You got to yeah. go. So Zip, <laughs> I, I don't know how he did it, but somehow Zip got himself into the player's parking lot behind like now now none of the gates are opening and we can't walk into the building so <laughs> we're, we're we're stuck in this parking lot area and there's one door that says you know like players only or something so we go over and we start knocking on the door <laughs> not expecting anyone to open it really the door opens it's barry trotz in you know his nashville predators t-shirt shorts looks at us and we go, we're in the players' parking lot. We don't know what happened. And and, and Trotz goes this way, boys. Right. And he right. just walked us the correct. That's way. that's that's fantastic. <laughs> you gotta love that. Like the, I used to get away with so much around hockey because I'm six six, I'm two thirty, right? And in, and actually, that used to be a hockey player back in the day. Now everybody's a lot smaller. But back then, it was all Eric Lindros types, right? Yeah. So there'd be so many times that I would, you know, jump out of a cab, you know, down in the, in the loading dock area by a bus. And, you know, everybody else has to go through all the checkpoints and everything, uh, show your ID. I've never had to show my ID in NHL arenas. Everybody would just kind of nod, you know. <laughs> and there were a couple of times where Islander players would laugh. And they would say, like, just, like, fake some Russian. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, if somebody asks you a question, just say, I don't know, I'm local room. Find me lo I I have hockey stick, you know, like just say stuff like that and you'll be fine. Like one time I was I was going through Toronto um for whatever reason, and I was going through customs in Toronto, waiting in a long line, and you know how that can go. Yeah. And somebody this guy in a you know suit just kind of takes my arm, he goes, uh, Alexei, this way. And I'm like, oh he okay. So I just go, I say nothing. Yeah. He brings me to like this VIP line where there's like two people. Yeah. I just go through and I leave. And it's, he thought I was Alexei Yashin because a lot of people say that we looked alike back then. So, and I wasn't about to correct them because that line was too damn long and I was going to miss my flight. <laughs> <laughs> so the Islanders keep paying me back. <laughs> hey, so, so you watch this run. We, we talked about Lou. What, 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 what does this team need to be better next season in your mind? Yeah, it's a tough one because, you know, I, I'm really curious to see if Sorokin brings the upgrade that we've been waiting for. Cause I do think, you know, the, the goaltending wasn't an issue, mm -hmm. but was there a game that the goalie won, you know, when you needed it, like that game one, I think you needed the goalie just to stand on his head and they didn't get yeah. that. Uh, not to blame them, but I mean, pretty clearly the power play is a major issue. And Eberle is a talent, but man, he looked like he was, you know, aiming for the banners at times. Like he just, I think Barzell needs a stud on his line. He needs a guy that can keep up with him and finish in elite level. And Eberle is a, an elite talent, but I think you got to upgrade uh, a goal scorer in the worst way. And that's, that's not easy to do. I know it's the most expensive thing to find in the league. I, I do think that's, you know, that's a critical area. 
that somehow, some way, they've got to figure out how to get it. Yeah, I know Lou went hard after Artemi Panarin yes. last offseason. That would have been unbelievable. I mean, the guy you're describing, if the Jets ever decided to put yeah, Lane yeah. on the trade market, you got to move heaven and earth. To well, them. don't you think, too, if you think about it, right, here's a, here's a franchise that is mostly this roster built of their own draft picks, right? For the most yep. part, the core of this team is their own draft picks. And, you know, again, you always got to acknowledge Garth Snow. Absolutely. It is an area that he was really good at. But, and then, of course, people will say, well, you passed on whoever, whatever. Uh, was it Pasternak because of Dal Cole instead of Pasternak? You want to bring that one up? Fine. Aside from that, where they are right now with guys who are late 20s, early 30s, and then some other younger uh, Bellows, uh, Wallstrom coming up, another first-round pick to me right now might be a bit redundant. Mm-hmm. If you're ever going to use a first-round pick to, to bring in a, a talent, this would be the time. Yeah, unfortunately, Lou's traded away a couple of first-rounders. I understand. Yeah, but no, I, I know what you're saying. You get, I mean, you know, Lane would be a first-rounder and like a Wallstrom-like prospect. Oh, you'll have to. Oh, no, no, you're, you're going to get, yeah. You're giving something up because, uh, you know, fa- fans will always do the trade that only benefits them. You understand <laughs> that you're going to have to hurt a little bit to get some. But, you know, yeah. we're talking about Patrick Lane. We're talking about somebody who's a star, a stud a guy that can get you 40 goals and then you pair him with a Barzell. And now you've got that legit top line that people are afraid of. Like yeah. when you played, uh, when you played the lightning and that line would come out, they, when that line came out for the lightning, I mean, you just could tell they were a different level and you were hanging on for that shift. Yeah. You got to get a line. You love that. You're deep four lines. You love that, but you still need that top line that puts the fear into the opponent. And they're close, but they're not, they're not there yet. Can you figure out the power play? I mean – I don't understand they, the slingshot. Uh, I know. just – is that what – like when you ask the questions about, this, about the power play, I literally would probably be asking them to diagram it for me. How is it supposed to work? Because this whole idea of skating with – like I know from watching years of travel youth hockey yeah. that one guy skating through everyone – doesn't work yeah. after a certain age. It's the age where they allow checking. Then all of a sudden, that guy that just dangles around everybody, he can't play anymore, and he ends up playing baseball. Why? Yeah. Because he doesn't like getting hit. So this idea of coming into the zone with speed, I get it. But it started to become that definition of insanity. <laughs> and I remember I tweeted once, Andrew, during a game, I said, you know, power plays are supposed to get a fan excited, not get them angry. Yeah, <laughs> and this power play makes you angry. Well, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they have an overtime power play in a game, <laughs> you know, right. and and they went backwards. Right. Yeah, I mean, they, yes, they, you know, they tried to. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a strategy to to befuddle your opponent. You think <laughs> we're coming at you? We're going to go the other way. You're going to yeah. stop and go. Where are they going? <laughs> well, it, it, it is baffling to me. That, I mean, they they change assistant coaches to run the power play. Yeah. You know, and, and they have good coaches, and you know, I think you have a you've got a, a bomb that that Pollock has. Yeah, and you've sure. got and you've got a guy like Anders Lee who can post up, and you can't move him. I don't know why there isn't some like that isn't more of the strategy, but it's the enter the zone part. Once they're in the zone, I think they move the puck well. Here's the other thing: Do you think that also? And I don't think this is coached. I think this is a mental thing. They look for the perfect shot. 
instead yeah, of absolutely like they look for quality over quantity and the old school guy in me believes pucks to the net and good yeah. things happen yeah, and yeah. They, they they almost are are searching for the perfect shot instead yeah. of like wait we're on the power play let's get as many things to the net and just try to outnumber them yeah. uh to the net so let me ask you <laughs> so the power play is not not working they need a sniper the salary cap is staying flat at 81.5 million and every team in the NHL has to dump salary. How, uh, how do you navigate, how do you skate your way through this? I know that that's the biggest challenge. And that, and that's where, you know, Lou and, and uh, Chris and everybody there is going to have to get real creative because I see a lot of fans talk about, well, just, just buy out lad. Well, that buyout doesn't save you that much money, to be honest. It doesn't really clear that much. And now, you know, you've got uh, a lot of money still now down the road to, to pay uh, for a very minimal savings. Um, you're not going to be able to trade anyone. As you said, no one, you know, the, the, back in the day, it used to be always one of the two of those teams that just need to get to the floor this year. So they'll, they, they'd make that trade for a contract. But normally those are expirings. Um, you know, again, Johnny Boychuk's another another player is, you know, that's a, that's a big number for somebody that's no longer a top pair guy. Um, I think it's going to be a major challenge, which is why I'm not really feeling like they're going to be able to do anything. I mean, obviously not doing anything free agency-wise. You bring you brought up uh, Line A, and, and that's sort of – that would have to be a trade. You'd probably figure out money and then fill it with a, a young talent and a, and a high draft pick. That's one way to do it. That might be the only way to do it. Cause my other thought is, is that you do have talent coming up and it might have to be that you look to a Wallstrom or a, or, or, you know, a bellows and, and say, you know what, you got a long off season here, get yourself ready. Cause we're going to need you. Yeah. It just might, or, or you look at Eberle and just hope that whatever was going on with him, in the later stages of, of that, of the playoffs. Cause that, I mean, aside from the overtime goal, which was a beautiful finish and a great pass, you know, you could just see he was fighting it. Like he could not hit the net. It drove you crazy. Yeah. So you're hoping that that was just something that was happening to him. And, you know, those playoff uh, ghosts from the past will come back to haunt him. So I, I just don't see how they're going to be able to be big time shoppers but I would look around to see uh, if there's, you know, somebody that a team is trying to unload that you can work out the numbers and, and make it happen. I just hate the fact that it's a hard cap. I don't think it makes sense. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess it's, it's simpler for guys like me because the NBA soft cap, I can't figure out to save my life. <laughs> well, it's, see, to me, I actually, what I, what I like but also don't like about the NBA soft cap. See, I think we've reached a point. Now, this is going to go now beyond hockey. I think salary caps have become antiquated in today's sports world. Salary caps used to be in place to protect the small markets, right? It was, right. It was so the big New York, LA markets can't just outspend everybody and get all the best players. That's fair. When there was a time when the big market mattered, you don't need to be in a big market anymore, especially in you know the NFL and the NBA. Uh, you don't have to have that. So, I do think you just need a checks and balances for some of the smaller market teams, but I, I feel like you're still punishing your big markets now, especially in hockey. If you have a player like Matt Barzell, they've got to pay him. Well, he's a star. 
I drafted him. I made, a, I made the right choice to draft this player. And now you're going to penalize me because I have to pay him? Now I have to weaken my team to fit him in my cap. That doesn't make sense. So I would think that if I had a conversation with Bill Daly and, and Gary Bettman, I would tell them to really think hard about this. Why do I want to punish my teams for drafting well? I want to promote the idea of drafting well and saying, look what I did. I took a player that I picked, I developed him, and now he's a star. And I'm not going to get penalized, so I get to keep him. And it doesn't affect me. So if you trade for a player, different story. He's not homegrown. But a homegrown player, you should be able to pay and go over the cap to keep them. It doesn't mean you should be able to go out and get free agents and go over the cap. The NBA has that. You, you can trade for a player, and then you re-sign him and go over the cap because you now have his bird rights is what they call it. Yeah. But in the NHL, you're stuck on the hard cap. And I feel like all you're doing is, is penalizing a team. Like let's, the Islanders are a great example. You developed all these young guys. You, you, you know, Brock Nelson, you, you brought him. You know, you, you, these are guys that you drafted and turned into talents. Why am I now being penalized that they became really good and now their market value is more than I can afford? I can't keep my team together now. So yeah. we're punishing the team because this one guy became a star. It's something they've really got to think about or reconsider. And I imagine as much as owners want to control costs, there's got to be a lot of owners out there that kind of get the gist of what I'm saying. Because a, a strong franchise isn't one that has to continually revamp its roster to keep up with the, with the cap. A strong franchise is one that the, the Edmonton Oilers, you, you, you drafted well and you can keep them all. The Islanders in the 80s, the same thing. You drafted well, and you kept all of those picks. And look what they turned into. Today's, you would have never been able to keep that group together for as long as they kept them together. No chance. You couldn't afford it. Yeah. I mean, I, I can almost hear Gary's response. I mean, you know, the, the, the story is the owners, of course, are afraid of each other. You yes. Know, and Don't trust each other. 100%. Yeah, they don't try. So John Ledecky and Scott Malkin, you know, with a soft cap can go, okay, Matthew Barzell, here's 10 and a half or 11 million per and you stay here. But and then the, the owners of the Winnipeg Jets are freaking out because they got to match their own, you know, now their, their guy life. said, well, yeah. they gave him 10 million. Why aren't yeah. you giving me 10 million? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Look, that that's the part I understand. But there has to be somewhere in there. I mean, I guess I'm going to the extreme of you should be able to give him anything he wants. There is in a soft cap the luxury tax thresholds, which will penalize you if you go over it for multiple years. So you'd still want to stay in a range that you're not paying a double tax on being over the, over the cap. I hope I'm not getting too technical, but yeah. there are ways to at least keep like suppress it, but yet I'm not penalized because I drafted well. Like, I want to be able to keep my guys on the same team. Golden State Warriors, their core are all draft picks. Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Like, that's, that's all draft picks for them. If there was a hard cap, you couldn't keep them all. You'd have to give up one. You have to trade one. Well, we're not going to – you know, we can't – who do you choose now? Pick one over the other? No, I want them all. I drafted them for a reason. So yeah. I hate the fact that you have to be a player now that and and Bar, look Barcel deserves to be paid you know he's a talent he's a true he's a true legit talent and boy is he a hockey player you saw all the scars on his face right he took a beating so 
I, like, isn't it odd for him to think, all right, well, on one hand, my agent's telling me this is how much I'm worth. But now I go in that locker room and I see an empty stall where we used to have a guy that was really important to our team, but we had to move on from him because of me. It's kind of unfair to put that onus on the player. Yeah, no, you're, 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 you're a hundred percent right. And really what, what, what's happened in the NHL is it's kind of cut out a whole strata of players you know the the the, the over 30s oh you mean the you mean the grizzled vet that helps your locker room <laughs> well no i'm just saying that there doesn't are, work anymore does it there are a bunch of people who are who you're would, right who would be in the nhl who are no longer in the nhl but. no you're 100 percent right those and when you talk and that's the other thing i think barry trotz recognizes yeah. is how important those. you remember uh, with the yankees when when aaron judge was a was a young was a rookie Matt Holiday was a, a player the Yankees uh, traded for. Yeah. And, and Holiday was a similar type judge player early in his career. He's a, you know, a guy that hit, you know, tons of home runs, big, strong body. And having, and Holiday didn't play a lot. He didn't have much left in the tank. But just having them side by side in the dugout, it, yep. was, so, it was so important to judge. Yeah. I think there's not enough value put on the veteran presence and what it means in the locker room in big moments, in big games. The guy that, that knows I'm not going to play a lot, but I can still give a lot to this team. Now, you'll say, but okay, good, to do it for the veterans minimum, <laughs> which <laughs> we all know isn't going to happen. Yeah. But I just think you get more out of, you know, and I actually thought Dobson played really well, uh, but Johnny Boychuk gives you a little more than Noah Dobson does because Johnny Boychuk's been through the wars and can kind of help you at times. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's kind of the balance you get there where your fourth line shouldn't be young players. Your fourth line should be the grizzled vets who understand that, all right, we got to stop momentum. Our line goes out and we know what we've got to do. We've got to have a really good shift and turn momentum in our favor. Young players don't really get that yet because they just, they don't have enough skin in the game yet. You know, it's it's incredible. The game keeps, and, and it's not over 10 years. It's, it's like every two or three years, it kind of resets. You know, yes. a couple of years ago, we were talking about, well, you know, 31 is the new 35. Yes. And I, I just saw something the other day where, uh, I forget, a scout was saying, you know, prime time is between 23 and 27 now. And anything over 27, you know, you're sort of turning the corner and, and you know, <laughs> you and I remember the days when free agency didn't happen until you were 31. Yeah. <laughs> guys weren't a free, you weren't a free agent until 31. Like, can you imagine? And again, I'll use my, my son's experiences is that he won't be like, he won't be a freshman, whatever college he ends up, you know, playing for, he won't be a freshman until he's 20. Mm. You know, they don't want him till he's, you know, they don't want you till you're 20 years old. And then you play four years. That's 24. And, you know, if you're good in college and you have a shot to be a pro, you're not turning pro till you're 24. You know, you're a rookie at 24, 25 years old. Yeah, that's not like the NBA. You're a rookie when you're 19. So it's a much different league. But you're so right. It, it, is, it is a league that does – there's a lot of uh, trending that changes. Uh, it's Obviously, as you've seen, the game has gotten incredibly fast. But I still take note that, yes, speed is everything. And you're seeing a lot more of the, you know, those, those, you know, the shorter, faster defensemen who are really all offensive minded, but they get beast moded in front of the net. And what I'm seeing in the playoffs, the last couple of years, the blue showed you last year, 
is those big, heavy teams are still the ones that win in the end. Look at Dallas and how big and strong they are. Yeah, they got speed guys too. And I know Tampa's another one. Tampa's got speed guys, and your big guys have to be able to skate. But it's still a sport where you need big players. And it was a trend for a while there where the league got real small and real fast. But the teams that won and sustained winning were the ones that stayed. You know, the Bruins, big, heavy team, wears you down, wears you out. You know, those are trends that just, to me, those keep cycling as well. Yeah, and, and the guy I'm thinking of, as you're mentioning this, is, is Pat Maroon. Yes, great example. Yeah, he was great with the Blues last year and has been great with the Lightning this year. I mean, yeah. I, I covered him for a hot second when he was with the Devils for about 10 games. But yeah. <laughs> he is a bear of a human being, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, I just – I feel like you still need those guys, especially in the back end. And there's nothing more frustrating – then when you play against those teams that post guys up in front, look, what did the Flyers try to do? How did the Flyers get back in that series? Mm-hmm. Uh, they were just posting two guys up in front of in front of Varlamov, frustrating him as the, as much as they could. Don't let him see. They got a lot of deflection, a lot of kind of lucky bounce kind of stuff, but it was all because they earned it physically. And you know there are times the Islanders don't have enough bodies out there to box out to clear out. They or they just not big enough. I mean. You know, Taves is a really nice power play, offensive-minded defenseman, but he's got to get in the weight room because you could see that he just physically had a hard time dealing with strong guys in front of the net. And to me, if I'm playing the Islanders, I beat them that way. I beat them by when I am in the offensive zone. I just I put somebody big in front of the net, and I dare you to move me because I don't think you can. So. You know that's an that's a that's a still a big part of this game. Now that's why I love Anders Lee because yeah. it's also not easy to do. It's easy to say, "Oh, just go in front of the net," and nobody wants to do that. That's that's a thankless job. You're getting hit by shots. They're coming at you at 90 miles an hour. You're trying to tip things while somebody's knocking you down. But <laughs> you know it, it 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 can pay really well if you're good at it. And Anders Lee is one of the best at it. Yeah, and, and that's what, you know, Barry worked wonders in Washington with Tom Wilson. You Great know. point. Yeah, mm-hmm. turned him from a, an essentially a knucklehead into a, a top-line power forward. And I know Barry is, you know, it, it, Ross Johnson doesn't have the same, you know, it that that Tom Wilson does. But that that was the idea at a point, you know. Yeah, to, yeah, Ross, I think you're right. But Yeah, and I like him too. I think he is one of those guys that – it, you know, is, is sure welcome to mix it up and has a nice heavy shot. And he's a, he's actually a better than average skater for a guy, his size. Yeah. Really um, worked at it. Yeah. But, but there is still something about, and it's not a knock when you say hockey IQ, I just think Tom Wilson, yeah, he's one of those guys that has just such a good feel for the game. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he's one of those guys that you just kind of look at and say, if you just played hockey, you could be really good. But he's he's got that other switch that sometimes flips and it gets him in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, Alan, I, I just wanted to end it this way. I, I know, you know, how personal and how meaningful it was for you when you were covering the Islanders for Newsday. And you, you relayed a story before we went on the air, but I, I know your son Zach is a hockey player. Yeah. And it just just tell me about what got the spark going for Zach and, and, and why this means so much to the Han family. 
It's funny. Um, so when I was, when he was born, uh, it was 2002. So I was covering, I was covering the Islanders in my third season by then. Uh, and so he, he, I mean, to really take it back, I was covering the 2002 Stanley Cup Finals, and it was uh, the Hurricanes and the Red Wings. And we're down in Carolina. My wife uh, went to North Carolina uh, in Chapel Hill, so she came with me on a trip, Got, you know, had friends. She actually used to work for the Hurricanes, so um, she knew them well, and they got her uh, and her um, college roommate uh, tickets. So my wife's pregnant with my son at the time, and they're at the game. And that's the game that went, I believe, four overtime. <laughs> so it, it it so of course all night she's there so we laugh at like how he was there for that and then when he was about three three months old uh we went to a preseason game once again it was Carolina it was at the Coliseum uh and and he was at that game and it's sort of his eyes never left the ice like he just stares you know and I know it's a tiny baby what does he know but it's just the movement and so little by little I just kept kind of bringing him around because I lived on the island. They practiced at Syosset. It was an easy, you know, drive. And so instead of bringing him to like a daycare or something for, you know, when he was a toddler, I, I just, come come with me. You know, they were great about it. And I knew most of the time you were just going to stand somewhere. I could just keep him next to me. But little by little, the guys, you know, whether it was Ricky, whether it was Ozzy, Chris Osgood, uh, whether it was uh, Garth Snow, uh, Parrish, you know, again, Webby, those guys, they, they, they kind of just took to him because they would see him all the time, this little kid. And so eventually it got to a point where while the media wasn't allowed in the locker room, you know, little Zach was allowed in the locker room <laughs> and, and, you know, they'd take him off over in the one corner where the goalies were and they'd put the goalie pads out and he'd sit in the middle and they'd give him a frozen puck and he would just sit there and, you know, mess around with the puck. And of course, DiPietro would always like tell me all oh, the things we're teaching him on, you know, like <laughs> he, he won't unlearn any of this. I'm like, guys, please. He's just a little kid. But it was just in his blood. The first time he ever skated was at Syosset on that rink uh, as a as an 18-month-old. And, I mean, it might have been five minutes with the skate aid. He pushed it away and just skated by himself. And that sounds like I made up that story, but it's legit. Like, he legit was skating just as he was learning to walk. And he's been skating ever since. And the Islanders have always been his favorite team. He's loved them. He hated the fact when Newsday moved me off the Islander beat and put me on the Knicks, which everybody knows was my dream job. Yeah. Uh, he was furious. You know, he's very upset about that. Uh, but to this day, he, uh, you know, he follows them closely. His dream uh, still deep down is to play for them one day. He's, you know, he's, he's got a chance to play in college. We'll see whatever happens after that. Um, but, you know, he, he's – He's a diehard Islanders fan, true, true and true. He's 18 years old now. He's playing prep, prep hockey up at Taft in Connecticut. It's really good, um, really good hockey up there. And and he's and by the way, an avid listener of your podcast. Jeez, <laughs> so you should know that too. Like he listens to everything. He keeps up on everything. So while I have podcasts on my radio show that I'll say to him, "Hey, did you hear that?" No. Then he'll go, "Well, you know, I was listening to you know to Andrew Gross's podcast, and he was talking." I'm like, oh, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so, 
Uh, Zach, I'm telling you right now, your dad is a much smarter man than I am. So. <laughs> How about this? He listens to you more than he listens to me. Every dad probably says that anyway. Oh, yeah. No, my kids <laughs> listen to anyone. But <laughs> <me>. <laughs> yeah, but it's always it's funny. It's just hockey's always been in the family uh, yeah. from even when I was a kid. But uh, yeah, for him, it was literally from birth. And, and it's amazing where it's taken him so far. And, and, you know, we'll see where it takes him from here. Well, listen, I know you got Zach and uh, three others, so you're, you're juggling a lot. But, Alan, listen, th this has been fantastic. I, I've wanted to do this for a long time. Like I said, I mean, you know, I, I respect your opinion about hockey so much. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you probably don't get to talk about it as much on, on, on radio as you probably would like to. <laughs> yeah, we try. We try, but there's only so much you can do. But, uh, you know, the, the further they went in the playoffs, the more there was a demand for it. So I'll take sure. it. But you, you have a good group. I mean, you, you, to get to cover this team and this franchise where it is for the paper of record, too. I mean, yeah. you know, to have, I always felt like the Islanders beat at Newsday was a premier beat no matter how bad they were because that's, as they say, our team. That's our kind of local team. Yeah. And uh, for you to have that, it's – and I know you know how special it is and what it means to fans and everything. And and obviously everybody, you know, at Newsday and, you know, yeah. uh, the 20 years I spent there, I just – that's, you know, still a place that I call home. And so to be able to do this is kind of cool for me also, just to kind of reach back and, uh, you know, and do something for Newsday. So I do appreciate you having me on. It's exciting. And as you could probably tell from this podcast – I don't get to talk hockey enough, so I probably talk a lot of it when I get the chance. Well, you I mean, I had a cousin who was doing a show in the Philly market, and they told him flat out, don't talk about the Flyers, you know? What? In Philly? Yeah. They love the Flyers. No, it was – but it didn't sell on the radio. It was talk about the Eagles. Talk about – Oh, it's all Eagles there. Yeah, that's true. But I can't believe – that was the one thing I loved when we cover when I went down there. And it was, you know, Islanders, Flyers, or when I covered the Rangers, it was, you know, Rangers, Flyers. Like, it was big-time coverage. Like, they got tons of coverage. I can't yeah. believe it fell off. Yeah, no, no. It's, well, I mean, you know, I mean, when I first got on the Rangers beat, there was seven of us traveling with the team. And People yeah. don't realize that. That's, you're yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, that blew my mind when I, when I moved, because they had me, um, when, when, um, when they fired um, John Muckler and they brought in Sather and they had uh, Tortorella uh, take over as the interim coach. I covered that team and it was the first time because I, you know, I'd covered the Islanders and it was just, you know, basically me by myself most of the time. And then every now and then you'd get the post and occasionally the daily news would show up. But, you know, the Ranger beat, it was just, who are all these people? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, yeah. Yeah, no, it was the, the Times, the Post, Newark traveled, the Bergen right. Record traveled. Yeah. I was working for the Gannett paper in Westchester. I remember. Yep. It was, I mean, it was, it was a traveling circus, really. And now you're doing blogs and podcasts. Yeah. That? Yeah. But no, you're, you're right. I'm, I mean, it, it, it's been a great lineage at Newsday of Islander beat writers, you, and, you know, going back further, you know, when Mark Herman was doing it, John Valenti, guys like that. You know, uh, Arthur, Katie, they're just Helene you know, Elliott is one of my one of my heroes, one of my idols. Absolutely. She's still doing it out in LA with for the Times, but she she was a pioneer back in the eighties covering the Islanders as a female sports writer. And I stay in touch with her to this day. And I, I tell her all the time, I grew up and she hates it, but I grew up reading her in Newsday and she was yeah. one of my early idols because she covered one of my favorite teams. 
Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it is a good job. You've got a great job too, and you do a wonderful job at, at everything you do on MSG and ESPN. And uh, Thanks. We don't like call it work. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and hopefully someday we can all be back at a rink and actually yuck it up, you know, over watching a, you know, a game yes. long. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to complain about the media elevator being, you know, late. <laughs> Hey, listen, Alan, again, thank you so much for everything. Uh, yeah. it's great chatting with you, man. <laughs> likewise, likewise. This was fun. Thanks, Andrew. Be well. All right. You too. Take yeah. care. Again, thank you so much, uh, Alan. Uh, always a pleasure talking to him. One of the, the real bright minds uh, in this business. Does a great job. Uh, you know, really did a great job transitioning from uh, being a newspaper writer to uh, making a living uh, talking on the radio and talking on TV and, uh, you know, not saying you know all the time like some of us are prone to do. But as I mentioned at the start, we're just waiting for uh, some Islanders uh, quote-unquote breakup day availability and we'll, we'll be back with another episode of Island Dice as soon as we do hear from some of the... Uh, uh, the regulars or some of the management team as we uh, get you set up for what is going to be a wacky offseason. And until then, uh, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And you can find everything uh, Islanders related on our Newsday website, uh, newsday.com backslash sports. And you can find all the Back Island Ice episodes uh, on the Newsday website, as well as on uh, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. And until the next episode, happy hockey, everybody.